This is, the, the book of Acts is about what Jesus, the book of Luke was about um, all that Jesus began to do and to teach, and now what's the book of Acts? It's all that Jesus is continuing to do and to teach and establishing his kingdom. So we're continuing the work of Jesus on earth. Uh, we're looking to a city. We desire to see a city established on earth where um, everything is being offered up to the Father in love. That's the goal. Absolutely everything offered up to God in love. I love how uh, Jonathan Edwards, he has this famous sermon called Heaven is a World of Love. And what's amazing is that God is bringing that world of love, heaven, down to earth. And he's bringing it to earth through his church. And of course, what are, what are we to love? What's the greatest commands? Love each other, but what's number one? Love God, right, that's right. So both of those commands are very important. And um, we talked last time about how the very first thing is completely focused on the love of God, it's worship. Um, All of these are about love of God. Uh, But the first one is exclusively just taken up with expressing our love for God in worship. One of the the key mission of the church and the thing that marks the city of God as the city of God, is worship. The church's mission is to worship God. That's the first thing we talked about, uh, marking this great city that God's bringing to earth. Now we're going to talk about three other things that God brings um, to earth in bringing his city to earth. And what does it mean to be the holy city of God? Second thing is that he's desiring to build up his body desiring to build up his body. So one of the missions of the church, one of the key parts of our mission, is to build up one another in love. So just just like we were talking about, what's what's one of the greatest commands? Love of neighbor, right? And so we have Ephesians 4, that Jesus gave ministers and other um, teachers and others to equip the saints for the work of ministry for, here it is, building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And you see, there's, um, there's body growth metaphor there, right? Like that we start off as little, little kids, and what happens? We're nourished. And when we're nourished, we grow up into full maturity, into full manhood or womanhood. And so the fullness of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that's what we're after. We want to see, as Paul says in another passage, we want to present everyone as complete in Jesus Christ. Right? Will we ever finish with this on earth? Of course not. Right? Pastor's work is never done. But this is something that is still advancing every single Sunday. Um, when we're meeting together in worship, it's advancing through the week as we're encouraging you in various ways. Um, And there are sort of two modes for this, and it's important we remember both of these modes. Um, This is going to happen both in word and deed. So Jesus has given us the means of grace, the word, sacraments, and prayer for the building up of the people of God. And these are so important for what the church is, the word, sacraments, and prayer, that we're going to dedicate an entire lesson to talking about these things. Because these are very churchly things. These are things that um, the... The, uh, no other institution has been granted. Think about that. Um, Jesus says, I want you to build a city, the city of God on earth. 
And then, uh, this is uh, something from Lightheart's book. Uh, he says, and then Jesus hands us a book and bread and wine. Go build the city. <laughs> and we're like, is this going to be enough? Like, <laughs> it's going to be more than enough, right? This is how Jesus builds his people up with the means of grace. And then he enables us by that word and by the sacraments and by prayer to act out what the word is, to live it out in love. And it's super important that we remember that those tangible acts of love are part of, a key part of how the church builds it, itself up. Um, it's not just speaking the word to each other, it's also showing the love of Christ to each other. And what, how does that work to build up the church? How, when, when believers in a church are not just speaking the truth, but also helping each other, how, how does that show the love of Christ and build up the church? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, you know, John, in the upper room discourse, Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, they'll know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And so that's a witness, not just to the world, but even to each other. Hey, we're re we really are um, united to a loving Savior. Um, good. How else does showing the love of Christ in these tangible kinds of ways, you know, bringing meals to people who are sick and, and going and helping out a brother or sister in something that they can't do but you can do, how does that serve to build the body? Yeah, who is the Savior that we worship? He is a God of love, right? Um, and, just, uh, and just again, like part of what we're always struggling with in this Christian life is trusting Christ, right? Can I, is he really out for my good? Is God really seeking my good when we're suffering, right? And we're really struggling. Um, and, and honestly, one of the key struggles that the church has as church is trusting each other, that we really do love each other, right? Why, why are there church splits? Why are there factions? Um, because we, we haven't really believed the best about each other, right? So part of what this does, when we're showing love to one another, we're building up the body because we're promoting that tr sense of trust. Like, wow, these people are my family. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Matthew 25. Um, Lord, when did we visit you in prison? When did we clothe you? When did we feed you? When you did these things, Jesus says, for the least of my brethren, you did it for me, right? Um, so we're all united to Christ, the head. And so in doing this for one another, we are doing it for him. And we are promoting the unity of the body. And I think it's amazing that, um, you know, as you think about it, there are these two modes of, of building up the body, the word and deed. Well, there are two basic offices in the church. There's the word office, which is um, elders and pastors. We'll talk in a, a future lesson about um, they're the distinction between those, but um, there's, there's the elders and pastors who are stewards of the mysteries of God, 
and who are speaking the word, both in a public kind of preaching or teaching mode, but also in private, um, counseling and encouraging. And then there are deacons who are leading us in, like leading the charge in terms of the de- ministry of deeds, right? So Jesus, he, he has both um, his mouth and his hands, right? And um, we, we are living that out now um, in these two offices, which all are encouraging all of us. Um, I, I think that's an important part of this. You know, it doesn't say in Ephesians 4, Christ gave ministers so that they could do everything. Right? <laughs> Christ gave ministers and, and elders and teachers to equip the saints, everybody, to use their gifts to love one another. So we're supposed to be building up the body. What else are we supposed to be doing? We're also supposed to live for the honor of God in all of life. Think about these all-encompassing commands that are given to every single disciple. And this is just a selection, too. Um, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do what to the glory of God? Do all (laughs) to the glory of God. Or 1 Peter 1.15, As he who called you is holy, how holy is God? very holy. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Be holy in what? All your conduct. That's everything, right? And then we already talked about the two greatest commands. Love God with all that you are. Love your neighbors yourself. Love God with what? With all that you are. With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. In other words, everything that you are And so, just think about that for a second. Is there any restriction on what does it mean to be a Christian? Is there any, like, well, this is the sphere in which we talk about being a Christian, and and then there's these other spheres that are just sort of irrelevant. No, there's, there's no sphere that is irrelevant to who you are as a Christian. In fact, if you go through the scriptures, every sphere of life is addressed. Um, God talks about money. Remember, um, when uh, John the Baptist was asked by various people, what are we supposed to do? A lot of what he said was about money, like the soldiers. Don't extort stuff from people and be content with your wages, right? Um, there's all kinds of instruction about money. There's instruction about marriage. There's instruction about employment. There's instruction about politics. Yes, the Bible talks about every aspect of life. The Bible has something to say about everything. Now, it may not directly address everything in detail. Um, We think of things like technology, right? Um, Which certainly there were elements of technology in the first century AD and and before, but um, it's not going to give you very, very specific instruction about here's how to use your smartphone or something. But of course, it still is telling us things about that when it says, love God with all that you are. And if so, if that device is not being used in a way that honors God, if you're basically ignoring the people around you and not loving them and giving them your attention because of what you're doing on your device, well, okay, the Bible speaks to that. When it talks about love your neighbor as yourself, how would you like it if somebody else was ignoring you, right? See, so it does talk about everything, every sphere of life. And this leads to the next point, that God is not merely about saving individuals. And this is so important because the church has fallen into... In so many different um, areas, it, it's fallen, and, and we 
today, it's part of the air that we breathe, that we as individuals, that's the most important thing. And actually, yes, God does care about individuals, and he cares about you as an individual, and he does claim you as an individual, but he claims you as part of a larger whole. God is not just about saving individuals. He has a corporate goal in view, a renewed society. After all, does sin affect how we relate to each other in society? Yes. Is Jesus here to reverse not just the guilt of sin, but all the effects of sin? Yes. Therefore, Jesus is here to bring about a renewed society. The church is this new society. And I love this quote from Lightheart. He says, the church is humanity saved. The church is, is communion with God and one another in God. It is the future perfect society in an imperfect present. And I love this. The church is salvation in social form. Isn't that profound? Like, we're not just here, all of us, to get our little, like, um, individual little, like, boost. And then we go off and serve God independently of each other. No, we are here to manifest in our collective identity as a society. We are here to manifest what does it mean that Jesus saves every aspect of our life. And so we are called a city. We are called a holy nation, a people for God's possession. That means the way we relate to each other is so incredibly important. And I've already said this, that the Bible talks about everything, though not in the same level of detail. And it's our responsibility as a church to preach the entire, the whole counsel of God. And to go as far as the Bible goes, but also be careful not to go any farther than that. And when we go as far as the Bible goes, that includes conclusions based on good and necessary reasoning from the Bible. So I am neglecting my office as a pastor of this church if I don't tell you everything that the Bible says, for example, about politics. We had a Sunday school class, I don't know, six, seven years ago now, wow, um, about what does the Bible say about politics, right? Now, what this doesn't mean is then, you know, venting my own personal political opinions using the office for that purpose, right? We're trying to bind your conscience on things that the, the Bible itself does not bind our consciences on, right? Um, we, we need to be careful not to say anything less than what the Bible says. We also must be careful not to say anything more than what the Bible says as though it were God's word. Why, why is it so important that we not say more than what the Bible says um, in our ministry of the word here? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, it's using it's it's profaning God's word in the sense that you're you're using something very powerful and very sacred to for personal ends to pursue a personal agenda. Um, good. Yeah, Anna. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, you, you sort of like, well, okay, there's the rules that God's Word says, but then there's all these extra rules that if you're going to be a good Christian, 
you have to do all this extra stuff, right? And then it starts to it create it creates this false standard of holiness, right? That isn't actually something that God's word requires. And it takes away from the liberty of Christians to think through for themselves what does the word say and what's the best way to apply this, right? Um, God gave us the word so we could then think about the word and apply it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. That's right, yeah. You, you may have certain things where you're like, okay, for my part, I cannot go here. Um, I feel like this would go against my conscience, and I, I just I, I cannot see doing this. Other Christians may, may think differently, right? So this, this, of course, introduces a gray area, like where's the boundary here? Um, I think that the way the, Bible, uh, the way the Westminster Confession puts it when it talks about good and necessary consequences is helpful because it's saying, okay, what you're saying is, you know, we should do this. Um, is that um, a good consequence of the Bible? In other words, we can see that as one application of this principle. You know, like uh, we were talking in the men's group about the importance of resting. Um, one consequence of that may be, well, I'm going to go to sleep at, you know, 10 a.m. Or, sorry, 10 p.m., right? That's my... Uh, that's my bedtime, right? I'm, that's, I'm, going to, I'm going to make that my, my schedule because I, I know I need that rest. Well, somebody else goes to sleep at a different time um, trying to keep the same principle, right, of, of realizing God created us to need rest. Um, like, we're not going to find fault there, right, because we understand it's the same basic principle, but people are applying it differently. Yeah, yeah, Jeremiah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. If we go beyond what's written, it's like um, we don't believe the word is sufficient unto itself, that we have to legislate additional stuff. Um, and this is an important point, too. Just um, the office of minister is a ministerial office as opposed to a magisterial office. Magisterial means you can legislate new stuff. There's one legislator of the, of the church, of the laws of the church, and it's Jesus, Right? We are simply ministers of his word. In other words, what he said, we pass on. We don't make up new rules, right? Um, and so we allow for legitimate difference of opinion, liberty of conscience. And yet, as we are preaching the whole counsel of God, we're expecting that people in all spheres of their life are going to start now living for God in all of life. Remember, this is the, the mission of the church, living for God's honor in all of life. And Lightheart had a nice... Uh, um, set of um, examples of this. A politician hears a sermon about justice for the poor, and he begins drafting legislation to assist them. A prominent businessman has succeeded in cutting corners by cutting corners, but after a sermon on Zacchaeus, he repents and begins making restitution to the people he cheated. Hearing a sermon on loving one's neighbor, a manager in an auto plant changes the way he deals with his employees. An assembly line worker in the same plant is convicted of his ingratitude and laziness and strives to be a productive worker. What do you think he's trying to get across in that quote? What's he trying to say when he gives those examples? Anna? That's right. 
Yes. Yeah, no matter what your station of life, you need to be applying the word to your situation as best as you can. Um, and yeah, I love the variety of the, the different people he lists there. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. One of the ways you love and serve your neighbor and love God with all your heart and pursue holiness in all of life is through your vocation, right? And so as we're hearing the word, we don't want to have the sort of restricted you know, mentality of like, well, there's my religious side of me, Sunday mornings, and then there's the rest of my life, which that, all that stuff doesn't really have that much to say about. Actually, no, when we take what we get in the word of God on the Lord's day, and we bring it into all of life, not just our vocations, but our family and like what we do on our own and, and how we spend our free time. What are, we, what are we doing? We are advancing the mission of the church. We are advancing the mission of the church to be a holy city in this old creation world, right? So the kingdom advances when all of a sudden you know, like the example he gave, a manager in an auto plant who's a Christian changes the way he deals with his employees to be more, more loving to them, more understanding of them, right? And in the same way, when that employee starts loving his neighbor and starts, you know, working hard instead of like, well, I can get by and still make money by just being lazy, right? When he actually works really hard out of love of neighbor as an offering to God, we can point to that and say, wow, the kingdom of God is being manifested on earth. Jesus, the Holy, Holy Spirit is at work, right? Um, here is the kingdom of God coming in love of God and love of neighbor being manifest. I think this third, this, well, I guess it's, yeah, part three, um, living for God's honor and all of life. I think this is a really big thing that we don't often think of as like part of the mission of the church. I, I just really, that's why I took a little extra time on this. And then there's this. Being God's holy city, of course, means bringing in more into the great, joyous celebration that is the church of Jesus. Uh, Acts 1a, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, and there's a bunch of scriptures I cite there, you know, um, talking about this aspect of the mission. I love uh, Acts 13:47. Paul and Barnabas saying, that they have received a mission to be, it's not it's too small a thing that my salvation should be for the Jews only. No, I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So we are made to be a light to the nations that the salvation of Jesus Christ may reach to the ends of the earth. And by the way, there's another passage that shows that our mission and the Savior's mission are interconnected. Right? Acts, uh, Luke chapter 2, when Simeon picks up the little baby, Jesus, who's come to the temple for the very first time, he says, this one is to be for a light to the nations that the salvation of God may reach to the ends of the earth, Isaiah 49, 6. So he quotes the same passage and says, that's what Jesus has come to do by the inspiration of the Spirit. And now Paul and Barnabas say, now that's our mission too, to bring to be a light to the nations that, are, that the salvation of our God may reach the ends of the earth. Who is the light of the world? Jesus. I am the light of the world. He says it right straight up. Who else is the light of the world? We are the light of the world. Matthew 5. You don't light, uh, put a, a light a lamp and put it under a basket, do you? <laughs> right? We are the light 
that goes to the world that shows the hope that is ours. And every member needs to be ready to share about the hope that's in us. 1 Peter 3.15 says it. Every single person should be prepared to say, when somebody says, why do you have such joy? Why are you so hopeful? We should be prepared to say, Jesus Christ died for me and was raised for me. Can I tell you more about him? Right? And I just want to say here that our love is a key part of all our witness. So we were just seeing, you know, the Operation Christmas Child video, right? And what's happening there through showing love in a very tangible way, we create an opportunity. Remember, go boxes, right? We, we are creating an opportunity, a gospel opportunity, opportunity for the word. And this is why, you know, Paul says when he was encouraged to remember the poor, he said, that's the very thing I was intending to do. Why? Because he's so passionate about the gospel. And so we are to be those who are showing love to one another. Um, Galatians 6.10, you know, um, seek, seek the good of those, but especially those of the household of faith. By showing love to one another, we are a witness to the watching world. Whoa, those are the disciples of Jesus. So our love, our word, you know, the people that use, they have this false dichotomy. Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. No, right? Use words all the time, right? Speak um, about Jesus, but also live for him and give and show love, right? And it's meant to be both. It's not meant to be some sort of dichotomy, one or the other, right? Okay, so these are um, quick ways of looking at the scriptures giving us our mission, and this is why we have the mission statement that we do at Covenant. Covenant OPC exists to make disciples of Christ who worship God with joy. That was what we saw at the end of last time. Work to advance God's kingdom. That's parts two and three that we talked about today, right? Building up the body and then living out what we're meant to be in all of life. And then we witness to the world. That's what we just discussed. So hopefully you can see that mission statement is coming from the scripture, and hopefully you can see that this mission is given to us by Jesus the King himself. Any questions about our mission as a church thus far? Because we're going to deal with one very important question um, for the last part, but I want to see if anybody has any general questions. Okay, well, here's, the, here's kind of the where the rubber hits the road in terms of practical stuff. Question: Does part three that I just defended at length, living for God's honor in all of life, does that imply that the visible church should now oversee the renewal of all spheres of society? In other words, the, does this mean that the rulers of the local church should implement social reforms, do the work of urban and political renewal, supervise the production of godly works of art, etc.? Do you understand the question? In other words... When we, when we see people living out love of neighbor in all these practical spheres of life, right? Um, and, we, and we see, like, people caring about one another, and because they care about one another, they start, um, you know, uh, caring about the fact that um, there's terrible injustice being done to the poor. And so they're like, hey, there are unjust laws that, make, that facilitate this. Those laws need to change. Is it the duty then of the leaders of the church to lead the, the political movement uh, to lobby government to, to change those things? 
Here's the answer that I provide here that for your discussion. I feel like, honestly, this is the thing I spent most of my week thinking about, how I was going to frame this. I hope I, I hope I give this way in a way that clears things up for, for some of you. We discern several distinct God-ordained spheres, spheres of authority in the Bible. The church, the family, the state. Those are, those are things that those are things that you are under as a creature. You simply by being created, you are in a family and in a state. And then by being saved, you really need to be in a church. Those are authorities that you cannot dispute. You you you, you are under those authorities. Okay? You're given given those authorities. And then we can also willingly enter into associations that involve authority. So parents who are given the duty of raising their kids can then entrust their kids to a school and grant that school and the teachers authority to train their kids in the knowledge of various vocations and, and the understanding of the world and, and God's, God's world. Um, likewise, businesses and nonprofits, right? Those are, those are willing associations that can involve authority, okay? And if we have those different spheres of authority, that's basically God saying, here are the people who are in charge of this. Who's in charge of raising kids? Parents. Who's in charge of maintaining law and order and peace? The state. Who's in charge of administering the sacraments and preaching the word of God? The church, right? And so, we as people are participants in all these different spheres at the same time, right? Um, we're all under these authorities simultaneously. Um, and this is where we need to distinguish between the church's organization and the church's organism. I give uh, Kuiper the credit for this. He's the one who helped me to think this through. As organization, that is what we do under the direct oversight of the leaders of the church. In other words, what are the things that the elders and pastors have authority to kind of control and to manage? What is Jesus entrusted to them? That's the thing we're trying to figure out. Those things are the things directly in our sphere, the administration of the word and sacrament, the encouragement and discipline of our members, care for the poor. Those are all things that have been directly given to us by Jesus Christ um, and, and that therefore the elders and pastors need to see to doing properly. And so in each of those tasks, um, we do... We do what we do, and we, we don't claim any authority beyond what the scriptures require. And this goes back to what we were talking about before, right? Where um, we can tell you, right, that, um, you know, th that a man and a woman ought to be married um, if, uh, you know, the, the marriage should be between a man and a woman is what I'm trying to say. And that, you know, Second Corinthians 6, it should be between two believers, right? You should not be unequally yoked, right? Um, and we can give all those commands that are explicitly given in Scripture. But then we're not going to say, like, okay, you now need to marry you. <laughs> like, we have no authority to say that, right? Um, so we give everything. We, we, we have the authority that Jesus has given to us, but no further within the organization of the church. And then as organism... In other words, as the living group of people that we are, each member is seeking to honor Jesus in every sphere of life. Okay, so we then make decisions 
based on the authority that we have in that sphere of our lives. So the church commands children to obey their parents. We, we can say that on the authority of God's word, Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents. But then we don't get to micromanage what rules parents make. Why not? Because it's their sphere. That's the, that's the authority that God has given, not to elders and pastors, but to parents, right? So we need, to, we need to distinguish then between who we are as a church that is organized together, working together, doing the things that God has given to the, the authority to the elders and pastors to oversee, things like the worship service, right? And, and then we, we, we are, we're equipping you to then live for Christ in every sphere of your life as the organism, as the living organism, which is the church. So it's the mission of the church to live for Jesus's glory in everything, right? But that doesn't mean that then the elders and pastors then manage the entirety of life, right? If there's something that in, in a person's life directly goes against the word of God, then the church has authority to say to a member, hey, that's sin, that needs to stop, right? Um, husbands, love your wives. If a husband is mistreating his wife, the church totally has authority to say, that needs to stop, right? But lots of uh, decisions that husbands and wives make together um, are really decisions that are decisions they make um, as they're seeking to love God and, and love their neighbor with all that they are. So I don't know how successful I've been in sketching the distinction between organization and organism, but do you starting to get the sense that like we have this huge all-encompassing vision mission? It's all of life for, for Jesus Christ, and yet that, that mission is going to be enacted by different authorities depending on, on what sphere of life we're talking about. Yeah, Anna? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. Yes, yeah. Yeah, we're all gifted differently, and there may be different aspects where we see, wow, this is a place where we really want to see the kingdom of Jesus come, right? And those are great examples, too. Like, I feel really called. I love doing evangelism, right? Other people are like, well, I really love um, doing this kind of service, or I feel really feel a burden for what's going on in this sphere of our world. Like, some people really just like, I, I really feel a burden to um, see more just laws enacted that are really going to honor God and um, make for a better society awesome. Not everybody feels that way, right? And that's a gift to be able to have not just the desire, but the abilities, right? Um, good. Well, let's see maybe by um, these examples, we, if we can keep the organized church within the limits of its mission and maybe apply these principles, and maybe it'll start to click as we use these examples. So, 
should, and this, this is very carefully worded, I'm not talking about the church as organism. In other words, all of us in our just sort of daily lives seeking to honor Jesus in everything that we do, okay? But I'm talking about should the organized church have a club or magazine about discussing literature or art? Yeah. That's, yeah, that is what I'm trying to get at. Should the session be the board of directors for each of these things, right? So when we're talking about the organized church, I'm talking about elders and pastors overseeing each of these things. And do you understand how that's a question of mission, right? Is this part of our mission? Because if it is, then we should really consider doing this, right? But if this is not part of our mission as organized church, then we need to be careful not to have mission creep, right? So is it the, is it the you know, the, the duty, uh, or I guess the, the, the province of, a, um, of, an, of the organized church to have a club or magazine about discussing literature or art? Okay, I'm hearing no, but nobody is bold enough yet to put up their hand. Okay, good, Dom, yeah. Right, right. Okay, so part of what you're putting in there is like, you know, is is it is it is this um, an outreach? You know, uh, is this a way of doing outreach? In other words, um, and and yeah, and I think uh, you know part of what I'm trying to say too when I say that the we're trying to offer all of life to Christ is that there is no secular realm. So like when we talk about the art, uh, the arts, or we talk about literature. Um, there is a sense in which every single thing um, we're, we're reading and we're encountering and we're creating, we're, we're seeing that it either is honoring to God or not honoring to God or there, there are things about this that in every way we're trying to perceive it through the lens uh, of the scriptures. Um, so obviously this is an area, the arts, that we want to consecrate to Christ, Right? Um, as Christians, we want to give these things to the Lord Jesus. Um, uh, yeah, I see your hand, Aaron. Go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, great, great, great example. Like, and, and I think, yeah, largely a lot of these things, the answer is probably no, but there is some qualification in each of these. Um, you know, starting a school um, to train children for their callings, well, no, I don't think that would be the, the duty of a local session, right? But um, we do have a school that's taking place right now <laughs> that's training children, right, in the, in the Word of God, which is part of our calling, right? Um, and uh, there was another piece that you just said, Aaron, that was really good. Oh, just that even in the th spheres that the session is not overseeing, in your example of a doctor who's counseling, Right? There's still a sense in which that member of the church is accountable to the session for what they're doing in all of life. So if there's something that does go against the explicit teaching of the word, so they're, they're starting to teach something that's incredibly unbiblical regarding gender, right? That's a place where the church has a duty to, to give accountability, right? Even though that's, that counseling center or that the doctor might be running is not specifically under our oversight, the member is, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, songwriters and, and others who, uh, yeah, authors who run their literature through trusted pastors and elders asking for their feedback. Is this going to represent Jesus well? Right. Um, that's, a, that's a really great example um, of honoring. Uh, yeah. Yeah, great, yeah. Yeah, right, so is there an, a place for where the church doesn't necessarily have a duty to do it, but it wouldn't be unbiblical to do it? And I think the Counseling Center is a great example of this. Like, I could see our church as we grow. I mean, how awesome would it be if we were to grow to the point where we could, like, afford to buy that building right over there and as an outreach offer biblical counseling for all kinds of societal issues, you know, um, domestic issues, um, addictions, all kinds of stuff that the, the world is just broken with, right? And desperately desiring help. And we're saying, hey, we'll give you free counseling, and we're also going to preach Jesus to you because he's the answer to all this, right? And that would be our witness, our outreach, right? I could see that being something that we do as a church that's in fulfillment of the mission, right? That would be especially, you know, part four, gathering in the lost, right? But do we, are we sinning by not doing that? No, right? We would be sinning if there was nothing we were doing to gather in the lost, right? Yeah. Mm, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know I've seen hospitals of that nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as you can see, like there's, there's fuzziness on some of these and places where we need to think carefully. But part of what I'm trying to help us to see is that we really need to stay focused on the core mission of the church and realize that sometimes what a believer feels a burden to do is something that maybe shouldn't be a direct ministry of the church, but a group that they themselves start because they love Jesus and they want to see Jesus brought to the sphere that needs the gospel. Um, and it's still an outworking of the church's mission, just the organic church, not the organized church. Yeah. 
be an encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We want to be encouraging members in their outworking of part three without necessarily saying we have to manage everything, right? Good. Well, I wish we could keep the discussion going because I can tell it's good. Um, we'll hopefully get to return to some of these issues in future classes. Um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the mission that you've given to the church. We are truly in awe that you desire to complete the great work that Jesus began and the, to make us to be that light to the nations that your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. A salvation that includes not just individual souls being forgiven and saved, but then their entire lives being reclaimed and restored and offered to God so that the holiness of God and the glory of God shines forth even in this dark world. Lord, we are so aw awestruck that you have given us this mission, and we want to be faithful, and we're excited to do this mission. We pray that we would do it well, that we do it in keeping with um, the structures that you have appointed in your word, and we pray that we would be found faithful in the last day. And we ask it in Jesus' name.